Hello again, everyone. It's that special time of the day when you're going to hear me, Jason Elliott, Paladin Elliott from Ready to Game, bringing to you episode three of my gaming goodness podcast. I hope you're doing great out there. It's 2.25 in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time, here in Columbus, Ohio, May 25th, a rainy Wednesday afternoon here. So, without further ado, let's get ourselves right into the action. Alright, well thank you to all my supporters thus far. Uh, my numbers are growing and I have to say... I couldn't do it without you guys. You guys are sharing the word about uh, my podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes. You guys are sharing the word about my Paladin Elliot blogs uh, at Blog Post. And uh, I really appreciate it. You guys are watching my YouTube videos, Jason Elliott videos concerning all things gaming. And I just want to make sure that I'm telling you guys how wonderful it is that you guys give me your time, your valuable time, and your valuable attention. So I really appreciate it. Real quick, I want to just give some credit that where it's due, um, right off the gate, I haven't mentioned this as of yet, but I want you to check out www.bensound.com. That's B-E-N-S-O-U-N-D.com. Royalty-free music, and I couldn't have my theme without these guys. So I want to make sure you guys check them out, my wonderful listeners who are caring. Uh, you guys are the best. I really appreciate it. So Ben Sound, and uh, see if uh, if there's anything there that can help you. Maybe there can. Uh, when we talk about the music there, they have uh, acoustic Folk, cinematic, corporate, pop, electronica, funky, grooves, jazz, rock, worldly, and other music. So make sure you check out www.bensound.com for royalty-free music that you'll be able to incorporate into whatever projects you are working on in your gaming worlds. So... The other thanks I want to give out right from the gate, and you'll hear me mention it often, is Dave Wild uh, out of Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, DJ Wild Productions, he's the one behind Galaxy Zento, and also Marshmallow Fight. And again, this is another uh, supporter who has been going out of his way to uh, help me review products as far as I'm, I'm receiving supplies from him. He has a drawing going on over on Facebook that's going to be drawn in just a few days, June 1st. So I want to make sure you're checking out Galaxy Zento. Zento is Z-E-N-T-O on Facebook. Or checking out DJ Wild. And Wild is W-I-L-D-E. Don't be like me. Don't forget the E. Um, so... I wanted to make sure that I got those thanks right out of the way. Um, yeah. Oh, one. I should mention one other thing. I've talked about my blogs. I've talked about the videos. I've talked about 
the podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Paladin Elliot, P A L A D I N E L L I O T T. Um, I'm looking forward to you following me. My following pledge is when I see you uh, join my cause, I make sure to give you the immediate follow back as just professional courtesy. Um, and I'm making new friends that way. So, okay, I think we got all the thanks out of the way. I think we got all the um, uh, immediate items off the table. I told you guys in a previous episode that we'd be talking about Wii Sports. And there's also Wii Sports Resort, uh, its sequel. Well, let's just jump right into it. Here's a game that I've been playing with my wife and two kids. You guys know that I'm a family man. We have our two little ones, seven and five, son, son and daughter, Arnold and Talia. And Wii Sports is one of these sports games where you get to choose from five different things. You get to choose from boxing. You get to choose from bowling. You get to choose golf. You get to choose tennis. And then you get to choose baseball, and it and the baseball sort of comes over, um, not only baseball, but it, it's similar into the rules of home run derby. Well, anyway, here's a game that uh, it crossed our shores, uh, 2006, um, and this is one of the staples to the Wii console. Um, you know, this is one of those cases cases where when your remote is a direct link to your arm and hand and anyone out there who's not familiar with a Wii this is uh this is a wonderful system to actually be active with um and Wii Sports is a, a great example to where I'm swinging my remote like a baseball bat for the baseball and the bowling it's like you're holding a bowling ball and in the boxing you have also included what they call the nunchuck uh, nunchuck excuse my pronunciation uh hooked in tennis like it's a tennis racket um you know it's just golf club for the golf it really demonstrates getting active with a video game it's a great example um what's been going on in it well I've been showing my kids over the last couple of weeks how to play. They love to have bowling matches, uh, not only with each other, but they like to challenge Daddy all the time. Um, I have to keep them away from the screen when it comes to the boxing because my son really gets involved, and I'm afraid for him to launch a controller into the screen, which makes a good point. On these controllers, if you're unfamiliar with it, they have bands that um, can be strapped down, tightened with these controllers, and make sure you use them. Make sure that you don't um, knock out a TV in the process. It's just takes a few seconds, and it's well worth it because I've seen some close calls. So make sure you're using those bands. Um, the collection of these games in the boxing, you go three rounds. Uh, you basically have your health bar given as a pie chart. Your health is in pieces of pie, and it can be given back to you twice if it's completely knocked out, depending on the quality of the punches you received and uh, the frequency in which you receive them. So if you hit hard and fast, you are less likely to get that third set of life. And each time you get that refill of pie life, it comes back a little less. It's not a complete refill 
you get a recharge, but it keeps um, being dropped down little by little. Um, very active game, and with all these games, you can reach a pro level. You it, you gain experience points. It keeps track as long as you have created a me, which is your personal um, virtual avatar in your console. And so we all have me's. Steph has a me, Arnold, Talia, myself. And so these get saved, and you get points whether you win or lose. And when you hit a thousand, when you get to that thousand line, you're a pro, and the game will adapt in its difficulty at that point. Um, it takes into account, you know, as a pro playing a non-pro, and having that type of intelligent AI in the game is wonderful. Um, the bowling is just like your standard bowling. You have your ten frames, you have your strikes, your spares, your gutter balls. The directional system on it is spectacular. You get to zoom in. You can back off the zoom. You can create a curve, um, the spin, uh, excuse me, the spinning curve on your bowling ball. Uh, you can throw it straight away. It's just, you know, it's a, the next best thing to going down to the bowling alley, especially, say, on a rainy day, or maybe you're far away uh, from getting to the local bowling alley. It's a lot of fun. The golf you can play it in three holes or nine holes, and it will uh, give you the benefit of the doubt if you're close on a shot. Uh, I have found that it, it is forgiving um, when you're very close on the green. Um, it will also call it uh, after six shots over whatever your, um, uh, your par rating is for the whole um so you know it'll keep the game moving along it tries to help the players out uh, it, it's again a wonderful experience the tennis uh you play through an entire session um just like a tennis game with your um scoring same system 15 love so on and so forth uh the baseball game you're going to play three innings unless it's uh tied and then um you'll get a chance to resolve it and if it if it ends it'll stay in a tie um and these games are just a heck of a lot of fun um you know this game really lends itself to being accessible to new players um and it really pushes some of the fitness modes that the creators behind it were looking at things like we fit we sports we sports resort we play this is a series of games that is just absolutely wonderful um interacts with your me channel uh say for instance in the bowling well any of the audience audience in the bowling or people sitting there or in the stands for the tennis game you'll see other me's or me's you've created uh sitting in the background um Along, you know, along with those cosmetic features that you've created. Um, messages will go to the Wii message board. You know, a good example is hitting pro level, getting that 1,000 points. Um, it's just absolutely wonderful. Um, looking back, I think it received... Let me see here. I know it was in the 70s. Oh, here, okay, here it is. 76 out of 100 on Metacritic. 
Um, it was just well-liked, positive reviews from most of the critics, um, referred to as a nice total package in its five games. So, you know, in uh, 2006 at E3, it won the Games Critic uh, Game Critics Award for Best Sports Game. Um, Time Magazine followed this for a while and put it in the top 10 video games of 2006. And I know some of you are thinking, why are you even mentioning, Jason, a game from 2006? Well, in Ready to Game, I'm going to cover new, I'm going to cover old, I'm going to cover whatever I'm currently playing. I'm trying to touch upon everything. If it's related to gaming, that's my job. That's why you tuned in to listen. So, if you have a Wii... Get your hands on Wii Sports, especially if you've got little ones that come around. Um, again, you know, as I said, seven and five in our case. So nephews, nieces, cousins, son, daughter. It's a lot of fun to be had. A lot of laughter. Um, gosh, I mean, we play it. A lot of times it comes out during like a rainy evening, rainy afternoon. And there's just a ton of fun to be had. So I can't really uh, sing its praises enough. So check that out. Wii Sports, uh, going back to 2006 from Nintendo's Wii. Um, Give it a look if you haven't. If you've never heard of it, it's uh, well-received, well-liked. And I think it's going to be worth your time. Alright, let's move on. What else have I been playing? Well... You know, I revisited a, a, a staple from my childhood, and I've been playing through it again in a couple different ways. Let me tell you about Dragon Warrior. Well, Dragon Warrior started out here in North America uh, in 86... Excuse me. It, was, it made it here in 1987. It was still Dragon Quest 1986 in Japan. Um, where you play the part of the warrior knight who has to rid the uh, land of a great evil, which in this case is a dragon lord. You're a descendant of a hero. Uh, the hero was Eldrick, so you're you know you're some generations later. And this was, in a lot of ways, um, huge. This was a huge uh, tool for imagination and inspiration into role-playing at large. This was my first experience into the role-playing world. This was even before I was taught Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition. I was playing this, and then a couple months later, I was taught 1st Edition from my brother, who's six years older. So, Dragon Warrior for Nintendo, and it can be played on emulators, um, there's Nesicle and Nest Play, just to give you some examples. Or if you have um, something like a, a, a console of the Retron series, or you actually have an authentic Nintendo Entertainment System, or one of the more valuable top-loading Nintendo Entertainment Systems, where you make sure you check out the value on that if you happen to have that. But when you pop in Dragon Warrior, you are greeted with a screen where, you know, you're going to jump right into this story of becoming the hero. And, uh, 
you know, you have to save up your money from beating enemies, and your hit points go down, and you have to go to the inn and get them restored, and you can get your hands on clubs and swords and shields and eventually things like Eldrick's token and Eldrick's armor um, when going up against the Dragon Lord. Uh, the game had all kinds of unique things going on to it, such as having to get uh, the drops to create the Rainbow Bridge, trudging through poisonous swamp that would damage you, uh, magical barriers that once you got through them, um, once you had access to them and could get through them and survive, that there was more powerful treasures that would also, you'd see similar mechanics in the Final Fantasy series early on. And what really gave this one a nice feature was the battery backup. Uh, the battery backup that you would see in Final Fantasy 1 for Nintendo, that you would see for The Legend of Zelda 1 and 2 for Nintendo, you were seeing in the Dragon Warrior series. And it was, you know, they kept it up with Dragon Warrior 2, 3, and 4 in the series. Now, Dragon Warrior was the most common one. It had st strategy and strategy guides that came out through Nintendo Power, the uh, magazine published from Nintendo and Redmond, Washington. Um, I also know that back in the day there was calls to their game counselors line, the the one two zero six eight eight five seven five two nine, there in Redmond, where it was dollar ninety nine the first minute and a dollar each additional minute. Back in the day, all you know, circa nineteen eighty seven. So you know you have this turn based role playing game that received um, huge success. Uh, it was one of the first ones to do this, and I think, and I I, th I believe I can safely say this, this definitely was one of the pioneers in developing uh, the whole genre. Uh, you know, I think of this, I think of Final Fantasy side by side in my experiences. Um, you know, so you played the part of the hero, the descendant of the legendary hero Eldrick, um, you arrive from an unknown location to help the land, and I mentioned the land before. It's Alephgard. Um, er, uh, Eldrick, uh, he saved the land years before you came along. And, uh, you know, he's got items named after him and locations. There's Erdrick's cave, Eldrick's sword, and so on. Erdrick, excuse me. I was just double-checking the, spe the spelling. There is no L. Erdrick. Um, there's King Lorik and the starting castle of Tantagel. He's the ruler. Uh, Lady Laura, which is the daughter, which you don't have to save her in the game, but I know whenever I played it, I always did. And then, of course, the Dragon Lord and his villains. Golems, Slimes... And if you look up these slimes in Japan's modern culture, there's all these different slimes. The blue slime, the red slime, the metallic slime, which is like one of the best ones to fight for massive experience points to help you level up. And then the, speaking of that leveling up, your character would improve. Uh, gain levels, gain hit points, higher attack, higher defense, and the ability to start learning magic spells, which would become invaluable in the questing of your game. Um, gosh, I was going to say, this game really opens you up to a lot of 
spinoffs and sequels. I mean, it's really a legacy game. I mentioned 2, 3, and 4 on Nintendo, and then Game Boy uh, Colors did remakes. Uh, I know Super Famicom had some. Uh, nowadays, you can buy remade um, homebrews, home productions, where these games uh, have been put in Super Nintendo format. And as I said, there's uh, spinoffs. Uh, Totoro, um, um, the Slime Games... Uh, there's just so much that it has spawned. It's it's insane. Um, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I mentioned the armor, the shields. Um, you can sell off what you've acquired when you find something better. You get a little bit of money back. Um, you, you buy torches for the caves... But then you have a Radiant spell you can learn. It has limited range, but as you move through the dungeons and the light starts to die out, your view of the dungeon itself as you're moving through will start to shrink until you can only see the very spot you're standing on. So, if you've never somehow looked at Dragon Warrior or the Dragon Quest series, Dragon Quest... Uh, Japan side of the Pacific, Dragon Warrior here. I mean, it even had a 13-episode cartoon that was in English. Um, then the the copyright got thrown out of whack. There was a, a battle over it, and it never went further here. But they had two entire series of cartoons, um, if you don't mind watching the dubbed versions uh, from Japan. So, yeah, make sure if there isn't anything you recognize when I say Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest, number one where it all started is just spectacular. And it and I dug back into it just to play it. I've beat it several times, but it's one of those games that it literally calms me. Um, it's enjoyable. It's wonderful. It is a staple of my childhood. And I definitely wanted to share that with you guys. And uh, please, if it's not part of uh, what you've played, take a solid look at it. I don't think it's going to let you down. Now, I told you guys that I, I cover old and new. Let me talk about something newer that is frustrating me to no end on Steam. It's called Darkest Dungeon. Darkest Dungeon. So you basically have the um, Lord of the Manor character who in the opening story pulls no punches about he had wealth, he squandered it, he's uh he's he's using it on things that are let me see let's just try and keep this show family friendly. Um some of it's adult um how he's spending his money, spending his time uh in bed, drinking uh, things of that nature, and he decides, you know what, I've heard that there's this uber treasure somewhere here on the property, down in the dungeon maybe, and he starts using some of his money to search and to research, and they dig, and the, and the workers keep going further and further down, and then basically, for any of you who understand HP Lovecraft or the Cthulhu Mythos, 
that you have this sort of Elder God-style situation where they unearth um, some sleeping demons, nasty creatures, and starts to kill the workers and drive the Lord of the Manor crazy to where he's actually telling his story. Um, the way he's telling the story, he's already, he's dead, but you're you're reliving the the moments that went on in the last part of his life as the whole thing devolved and finding it, uh, you know, in his search to try and find this treasure. So, you know, huge gothic themes, huge challenge rating, um, and this game really incorporates stressors. So imagine playing um, a game where you're, you're dungeon delving and your torch is going down and your stress increases because they're less light. Or you get poisoned and you have to get cured. And I mean, some of the things, some of the things you can contract in the game are modern day stuff. You could get syphilis. You could, um, basically have the, um, equivalent of foot rot, uh, crotch rot, uh, you name it. I mean, it takes some modern day themes and incorporates it into what the foes can do to you famine, disease, and uh, the toll of the dark um, and, you know, what it does to people who stay in the dark too long. Um, you know, the, the big claim was that this is a game where the adventurers, you really see their humanity and you see the sort of psychological warfare being dealt upon your adventurers. Um, they start at level zero. The maximum you can get them to is level six, which is an, just a daunting, daunting task. Because once a character is defeated in your questing, you don't get them back. Uh, you'll get to see their tombstone in the graveyard. I have several characters after, gosh, months and months of playing, I now have a party that is level 5, and I'm, I'm nearing the point where I will go into the, the final dungeon, what is known as the darkest dungeon, where, you know, you're going to see just how bad the emotional toll, how bad the psychological toll is, and once you go in to that final dungeon, you basically get sort of a one-shot deal to where they go in and they see the horrors and it changes them and they won't go back in. They're smart enough to go, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get back into this. I mean you have the tactics of where your party members are in four positions where they are stronger stronger offensively or defensively, depending on their position and how they respond with counters or healing. Um, there's also the tactics of trying to line things up that go off. They're not officially combos, but if you have someone marked, you use an ability from one of your characters, and then you have an, a different character has an ability where they do additional damage to someone being marked then you want to plan for those type of combinations. So, you, you know, you have this constant juggling of, 
I need to deal out enough damage fast so they're not hitting me versus I need to keep my people alive so, you know, do I go into a defensive position? Then you're training them so they their skills can increase. You're upgrading their weapons, upgrading their armors through the weaponsmith, the armorsmith, which this all takes different um, amounts of money and items uh, that you acquire from going in. You have your headstones, you have these um, uh, parchments and so forth, um, trinkets, and then you also get a chance in, uh, there's short dungeons, medium dungeons, and long dungeons, and um, as long as you're not running short, you can sometimes get the option of camping, so you want to have camping skills that are strong, because they'll recoup a little bit of their stress, their hit points, or they may get bonuses, they get, you use skills to psych your people up, or help them out of basically, you know, dungeon depression, if you will, and each time you're taking these adventurers, you're trying to create almost like a uh, Navy SEAL uh, special forces team. I mean, there's really just no other way to describe it other than, you know, you're looking for how best to have your people survive. And then I, I mentioned all these choices, the equipment, where a lot of the equipment gives you a penalty as much as it gives you a benefit. And then you're choosing their positions. You're choosing how well you improve the manor. And it's sort of like the villa around the manor. So you have a stagecoach where there's new adventurers coming in. So if your adventurers die, you know, that's if you have a strong recruitment there, you get more people and you have a higher amount that can be in your overall roster so one team goes in one team recoups and then it could be one team goes in one team recoups and one you're prepping and you know you start cycling that way um you improve the healing abilities in their you know villa hospital and some of it's dark humor dark references uh it pulls no punches i'll warn you about that right up front and then you've got all this going on all these different choices to make, and then you, we haven't even gotten to the heroes, the character classes. You have, let, let me see here, the Abomination, the Arbalist, which is my ranged fire person. They, they love using crossbows and are pretty decent healers. Bounty Hunters, who are um, really good at um, pulling enemies out of their position and pulling them into a position where you can hit them harder. Crusaders, what do you expect? Um, they hit hard. They're a tank up in the front ranks. I didn't even mention, uh, going back to the Abomination, very powerful, can strike enemies down pretty quickly, but when they go into their Abomination mode, they become a monster, and they stress out the rest of your party. So if your stress is starting getting high, then you may hit like stress level 100, which it caps at 200, at stress level 100, you're going to gain a new stress, a new affliction. And at 200, if your stress hits that high, you die of a heart attack. Your character just drops on the spot. Uh, grave robber, range fire, great with traps, where you want, there'll be traps in the dungeons. 
when you get near them, you want to click on them. If you have a good disarm rating, then the trap doesn't damage you, and sometimes you'll actually decrease character stress because you disarm the trap safely. The Hellion is like, basically when you look at her, the female Barbarian. She's great up front, does a lot of damage, um, not great in the way of defense because she's put it all in her attack. The Highwayman is basically firing off with pistols and daggers. Um, he's another one that can be good in disarming traps, range fire. The Houndmaster, one of my personal favorites because he comes in with his hound. You can feed the hound biscuits to improve their stats and their attack and defense for a couple of rounds. And you can reach any of the enemy ranks because the hound can, you know, charge out, attack them, come back. The Jester is, you know, your dark bard in this game where their music will lend to improving stats or removing ill stats. Um, and they're good at just being a good uh, booster to your characters. The Leper seems to be sort of like, um, you know, similar to a Crusader for me personally. Um, pretty well-rounded, even though there are situations where they'll cause more stress if they're in your rank. And like the Abomination and the Leper, some other characters will just say, I'm not going to be in that party with them. The man at arms is just what you expect. The soldier, I mean, he, I think uh, his profile describes him as a, a, a sergeant major of an army um, who's joined the quest here for fame and fortune, like they all are. He, you know, he has his mace, he has his shield. He's a good tank. He deals out good, solid damage to the forward ranks, but can't reach far off. Uh, the Occultist, um, this is another class where you can do some modifications, stat modifications, or be a healer, depending on what stats you're pouring points into and pouring the money into. Same thing with the Plague Doctor. Stat changes, stat boosts, healing. I mean, they can fight, and the Plague Doctor does better in battle from what I've seen than, than some of them, um, as far as the ranged, but... Plague Doctors I normally put into a healing position. The Vestal is basically like a Paladin, where if you're if you're getting demon-like creatures, they're going to get additional bonuses, um, and then they call down some of their holy powers, which um, healing... I mean, the Crusader and the Vestal have some healing if you invest in it, if you switch off some of your tasks, but the Vestal's really good at striking down like unholy... And the newest one that came out originally as a patch coming in hot for game testing, and I believe it's gone completely official at this point, and forgive me if that's incorrect, but I believe it did, is the Antiquarian, referring to antiques, they increase the amount of treasure you can collect, the chances of, because let me tell you, when you play this game, you want to get as much treasure you as you can up to the point where if you stay another moment longer, you're going to start losing characters. Because you're going to need that money desperately to send the characters to the bar so they can de-stress, to send them to the brothel, to send them gambling, to pay the healers in the hospital, um, to improve the church for praying 
to improve the stagecoach for people coming in. Um, Weaponsmith, Armorsmith, Skills Master, uh, the Camping Master. So money, oh my goodness, you you need to be well aware of how much you're bringing in versus what it looks like you're spending because the you go through a huge prep phase and you don't want to be over prepare because if you get killed those are losses you don't want to under prepare because you'll you know if you're if you don't have all the items you need um sort of like medical herbs torches and, and things of that nature, then you can't cash in on some of the bonuses in the dungeons. Or, or like even the food, keep yourself from starving, because if you starve, you take damage to your stress and your health. So, yeah, there it is in a nutshell, about as short as I can make it. I mean, there's curiosities in the game, very dark, gothic, Cthulhu-esque. Um, items to be found, different locations. Some look sort of like demon gates. Um, some, you know, out on the highway. Uh, you approach the manor, or you're going into the ruins. You're going into the weld. The enemies, I mean, some look like the fallen workers are ter- turned against you. Some of them are demons. Some look like they came out of 10,000 leagues under the sea. Um, and then I mentioned the quirks. And there's not just negative quirks. I mean, you'll get positive quirks, too. Like, I know one of the ones that recently went off was I had hit the point where the character was close to death. And you can hang on death's door, which you get penalties. And there's a chance that upon every hit, you'll be knocked out of the game. You'll be killed. But it's not a guarantee. And at that moment, I had a character, uh, it was a crusader, all of a sudden acquire Valiant. And all of a sudden, basically in their 11th hour... They were like, I'm not going down. I have the power of my god on my side. And all of a sudden, their stress dropped. They got a bunch of hit points back. And they had bonuses to attack and defend. Basically, they you know they came across like their god um, helped them at the final moment. And it's just, it's a great game. It's highly frustrating. I don't recommend it for everyone. I mean, for me, I mean, I've almost rage quit several times check out a video on it uh darkest dungeon and then you have this narrator as i said the lord of the manor where one moment you're up and you're like the momentum's with me and and he'll say something like press the advantage and then all of a sudden you'll have a miss or they critical against you and it's like could it be a trick of the light or Pride is the first to go before a fall. And I mean, so the narration, especially if you're playing it late at night, will, you know, mess with you. So check that out. Darkest Dungeon on Steam. It's just an amazing game. Um, I, I don't think it's for everyone. There is some humor to be found in it. Uh, it's got a great community following. Um... I know everyone I've introduced to it uh, plays it, but gets very angry with it um, pretty common. All right, so let me take a moment and address again uh, one of my sponsors, uh, Dave Wild, W-I-L-D-E. 
Don't forget the E. Galaxy Zento and Marshmallow fight. Um, with Galaxy Zento, you know, he Dave is creating a fantasy um, sci-fi hero universe where there's different characters mixed, you know, alien races, magics, and he's turning this into an entire adventure series. So I want you to look up Dave Wilde. On Facebook, I want you to check out Galaxy Zento, and then also the family-friendly game Marshmallow Fight that can basically be played, you know, in 15 minutes. First to get to 10 points, you're trying to perform the events with marshmallows, including the Mega Pink Card Marshmallow Fight, where basically it's like a marshmallow bag exploding when you uh, draw the card and play it. So make sure you're uh, checking out Dave Wild with an E. Checking out Marshmallow Fight, which is on thegamecrafter.com. Thegamecrafter.com. And make sure you're checking out his work on Facebook. Um, if you manage to get in touch with him, please make sure you mention Paladin Elliot, Jason Elliot. And um, I'm sure he'll be more than happy to take some time and correspond with you. I know it's been a great enjoyment uh, for myself here. So, what else is going on in the gaming world? So, if you're going to Origins Game Convention here in Columbus, Ohio, coming up, I want I'm just pulling up the official dates. I don't want to tell anyone wrong. Uh, Greater Convention Center, Columbus. Uh, it's June 15th through the 19th. Five full days of games. And if you're on BoardGameGeek.com and you're thinking about going to Origins, maybe you have some stuff you want to unload. Uh, there's what they call the Origins No Shipping Math Trade. Now, if you're unfamiliar with a math trade, you have a computer program with an algorithm in it where... It will take the best situation of person A wants to trade this with person B, but person B wants something the person C has, and person C has something the person A has. And so the algorithm creates the optimal trading um, algorithm to where all the people who um, have items on the trade list Versus their want list, you know, maximum effect. Um, for myself, I've currently put in 61 extra items, uh, games, books, and the like. Um, they're all doubles from our collection here, from the Elliott Library. Uh, the last I saw, we were nearing 1,700 games and game-like items. So if you are attending Origins Game Convention um, from the 15th through the 19th of June, and the Saturday morning will be that math trade. I believe the math trade will start at 9 a.m. sharp Saturday morning. Make sure you're searching for Origins Math Trade, the Origins No Shipping Math Trade. Get in on it. It's going to be a great way for you to... Um, Create a trade list of your own where you're putting it out there. Um, and then you make your want list, which is up and coming, which I believe 
is going to switch to the want list June 1st. And, uh, you know, you don't have to go through the trouble of selling off your stuff. You can just get get it in a trade with someone else. Um, great way to help your gaming collections. And it's not just limited to board games. I know some people trade video games. I've traded some books in this where some extra copies of Minecraft strategy books are in there. Um, so make sure you take a look at BoardGameGeek.com, uh, the Origins Math Trade, and Origins Game Fair. Uh, Origins, O-R-I-G-I-N-S, Game Fair. Fair is F-A-I-R, so that's one word, OriginsGameFair.com, where gaming begins. Let's see what else we have to talk about. Let's talk about another game that was played recently several times where we created a custom map um, from Space uh, Cowboys Splendor, the jewel collecting uh, game. It's a chip collecting card development game where we all play the parts of merchants of the Renaissance who are trying to buy gems. Um, with the means of transportation, the shops, all in order to acquire the most prestige points. So the first person to 15 points wins. But how that works is once a player hits 15, the current game turn must resolve. So if the person who hits 15 is the first in the turn order, the remaining players will be able to finish their final turn to try and overtake the player that hit 15 or higher. There's nobles in the game that, as you acquire different gems, such as the, uh, you have uh, ruby, sapphire, emerald, you have gold, you have diamond, and you have onyx. So they're represented with red, blue, green, um, white, black, and the gold is yellow. And so you'll have cards for getting certain types of jewels. Some jewels will have victory points. Others will not. But no matter what, you once you add that card, the jewel that's in the top right corner of the card is like you're holding that permanent chip. And why that's important, why to have that permanent resource, is that you are limited to 10 chips. So you're going to have... Let me walk you through some of the options here. When playing the game, so it's your turn, you have the option of drawing from the chips what they call the 1-1-1. One, one, and one. So I've mentioned five gems. So you can take one from each stack. They have to be separate. So I could take one ruby, one sapphire, one emerald. Now, if a stack has enough in it, which I believe in our latest game it was four, you can take two of them as an alternative so my turn I don't choose to take one one and one I take two I take two sapphires because I need them to get a card that I'm trying to get the points and get the resource so you can do that another thing you can do is what they call the reserve you can reserve a card so say you see a card that you just know that a person's working on or it's going to help them leapfrog to victory, you can block them by reserving the card. And so it comes over to your play area, basically tapped, 
sideways, you know, using some Magic the Gathering terminology. And when you receive that reserved card, you don't score it because you're not completing it. You're not building it, collecting it. But you get it sideways and you get a gold token, the gold chip. And they're all, they look exactly like poker chips. I mean, weight, material. And in this case, the gold is treated as a wild, a joker. So maybe a card that I'm going to try and get is worth five points, and it's also a sapphire. But I need five diamonds and three sapphires. Well, let's say I have the three sapphires from cards and chips, and I have the four diamonds, but I have a gold. Well, I can add the gold, and the gold will take the place of any one gem. And so I can use it in that fashion and collect the card. So you're doing this, and you're drawing from a library of cards that there's Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 cards are the most plentiful. Most of them are just a gem resource. They're easier to collect. A few of them are worth victory points. Most, uh, I believe one is the value. But those are harder to get. Then your Tier 2 is a lot of 2s um, and 3s where much harder to obtain, but it's sort of the intermediate. And then tier three are big scores, three, um, and I know there's some fives in it, much harder to make, so you're working your way up to them. And then the nobles, the bonus points, is they have conditions on them. You draw them from, you draw five from ten possible to help keep the random variable up on the game. And one noble will give you three points. Say if you have four diamonds and four sapphires. Now, with nobles, with the bonuses, you don't count chips. You're counting the cards that you have in your play area that have been collected. So the first person, the first player who gets four diamonds and four sapphires in their play area... And they 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 need to call and say I've I've met the bonus condition on this noble. They take the noble and add that add those points to their overall score. So this game we built um, a play mat for it. We printed it out on adhesive printing paper. We attached it to foam with some packing tape. Uh, you can find it on boardgamegeek.com if you just put in a search for. Board Game Geek, Splendor, Playmat, you'll find it. Or add download in the search terms. We printed that out, stuck it to some foam, taped up the foam. A wonderful Playmat. Um, it's a great game. Um, it's also out on um, tablet form. I just got it for iOS for my um, iPad 4. So in a future broadcast, I will be discussing it in detail and, and the good and bad about it. Um, this is just a great game I recommend. I know it won... I think it, it got some nominations in two years ago. Let me look here. 2014, I was right. Golden Geek Best Board Game Artwork and Presentation nominee. 2014 Golden Geek Best Family Board Game nominee. 2014 Golden Geek Best Family Board Game winner. Um... I know I got mine through what they call a geek 
Bay auction. It's not eBay Geek Bay, which is through Board Game Geek. So I got a used copy for sixteen dollars, but I think they're running about. I've seen them in half price books here in this area. Um, I want to say twenty five. Um, you might see it anywhere from like twenty four to twenty eight through Amazon.com, I believe, depending on if you're a Prime member or not. Great game, well worth it. Um, I have found it plays great with family and friends. I uh, I recommend it. I scored it a ten. I would play it anytime someone mentions it to me. Its overall rating over over twenty thousand have rated it on Board Game Geek, and it's at seven point six, where ten is the perfect score. So there you go. Check out Splendor, S-P-L-E-N-D-O-R. It's a great board game from, uh, um, I believe it's uh, Space Cowboys. Um, yeah, it's one that you really want to check out, have a look at. Um, great chip collecting mechanism, um, acquisition. Just a lot of fun. Okay, a game that my wife and I have played for years and years and years, just played again the other night, card game known as Lost Cities. This is from the company Cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. And uh, basically, you have five colors that are used in the game with investments and adventures. So here's what I mean. So you have, uh, let me see if I can go through this correctly. From left to right, as one person would look at it, and be the reverse for other side, yellow, blue, white, green, red. And each one denotes a different expedition. Yellow is a desert expedition. Blue is um, underwater ruins. Uh, white is sort of like the winter high in the mountains, sort of like maybe uh, Nepal. Or Everest, finding some ancient ruin there. Green is the jungles, so, you know, I, I sort of think of, like, the Amazon with that one. And then red is, it's like, you're going into um, a volcano exploration, uh, expedition. And so these cards are ranked numbers 2 through 10. You'll see a number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or a handshake. And a handshake is an investment card. So you are each dealt eight cards shuffled from the deck. You play a card and then you draw a card. And that is key in this game because you have to decide do you want to play an investment card, which is a handshake, where Whatever your penalty or bonus is for each handshake, it's a multiplier. If you have one handshake, you're going to double. Two handshakes, triple. Um, Three handshakes, quadruple. Now, the key here is the numbers on the cards you play in a category need to at least hit 20 to break even. So if I have, uh, let's just say, a 2 a 5 and an 8. So that's 15. That's all I played for a color. I will lose 5 points for that expedition because it's not to 20. It's 5 less. If I had a handshake on that, it would be 2 times minus 5. So my penalty's worse. It's minus 10. But anything over 20 is 
positive points for your score. And if you manage to play eight cards of a color on your side, that's a bonus. It's a straight 20-point bonus for a successful um, exploration of that area. So you're trying to determine when to play a card. Um, like if I play this six red and then I draw something lower than it, like a four red right afterwards, I'm going to just shake my head in disgust and go, man. Whereas you may play a handshake and the next card you draw is the two of that color. And so it lined up nicely for you. So you're watching what the other person's playing. You're taking into account what cards you have. So you're evaluating what color you're leaning towards from the start and what you think is coming in the card. So there's the randomness is through the draw, the luck. And then you may decide, I'm not going to invest this card. I'm going to lay it on the top. You basically lay it on its color on the middle board. And you're saying, I'm just discarding this. I'm not playing it, but I'm doing it because maybe it doesn't help me or I need to draw a card. I need to take the chance of getting something better. And those cards placed in the middle and the middle discards can be picked up as the draw by the uh, opposing player. So I may say this card doesn't do me any good. I, I have my lowest yellow is a five that's played. And I just drew a three yellow. So that I can't play that. I can't play below what I've played. You just have to keep going up. So I discard it to the middle. Well, my wife, she plays a card and goes, well, I need that. And she can draw that instead of drawing from the draw deck. Which also in turns draws out the game. Because once the last card is drawn, then you count up your negative um, adventures and your positive adventures, and you can have some adventures that completely break even where, you know, you have an investment on it, but it ends up at 20 total, a 2, a 8, and a 10. And so so what it's turning into is 2 times 0. So it's just a break even. So you want to try and get a bunch of cards laid down for a color and exceed 20. So, like, some people get very lucky, and all of a sudden they lay, like, an 8, 9, and 10. So that's 27. So they're at least, at minimum, going to get seven positive points to their score. Um, let's see. Yeah, let's. Uh, I'll take you out on one final item that showed up in the mail recently from Arknight. Arknight Miniatures, what they call their flat, flat plastic miniatures. This was a Kickstarter. Um, they have clear plastic bases with notches in them for these um, plastic pawns to fit in. Now the pawns are dual-sided, so you get a front and a back that is correct. Um, I think they took laser cutter to some of them as far as the framework. So I have found some of them I can punch out, but other other pieces um, I have to take an X-Acto knife to to get the pieces out. But they're very colorful, artful. Um, the images are just, in some cases, absolutely stunning. And uh, this is Arknight, uh, A-R-C-K-N-I-G-H-T. 
and they're flat plastic miniatures. They were a I was part of the successful Kickstarter, and now they are taking orders for standard retail sale. And I'm looking at the stack in my hand. That's me waving the plastic. Um, they have different editions. Like I have kids adventurers. I have monsters in front of me. Um, I'm looking at a, a blue hydra and a blue dragon. Um, many different character adventurers. These are going to be great for role playing or even dropping in games where I want to bling them out a little bit. And maybe take a step up from meeples into actual um, visible characters. And there's a the, the detail to them. Um, the artists behind the project have done a stunning job. Um, you can see this if you look at Google Images, for example. If you put in uh, the search for plastic, uh, flat plastic miniatures from Arknight. Um, you know, my, my package was a $75 package. And I've got something like, I'm guessing here, 20 sheets that I'm going to be punching out and putting in bases. So... That's another product that I wanted to slip in at the last moment that just arrived. It came just the other day in the mail. Give that a look. All right, let me look here. So, yeah, we are we're out of time. So, once again, guys, I am Jason Elliott, and I want you to know I appreciate you guys listening to my Paladin Elliott Ready to Game broadcast. Please make sure you're... When you're going through the blog post or you're going through the SoundCloud broadcast or iTunes, like it, comment, share, please. I can use all the help that you would be willing to give. Um, my email, jasonlynnelliot at gmail.com. J-A-S-O-N-L-Y-N-N-E-L-L-I-O-T-T at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jason Elliott, signing off for this Wednesday, May 25th, Episode 3 edition. And I wish you guys all the best out there. May it be kind to you, may it be good to you, and may you always be ready to game. <laughs>